0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association
1: with EY, building a better working world.
0: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm looking at mortgage rates and the latest economic indicators for Ireland, which suggests the economy here continues to run at full tilt. But I'm starting with mortgage rates. Last week, Central Bank Governor Gabriel McClough told an Oireachtas committee that it would be concerning if recent ECB monetary policy was not being transmitted to the wider economy by Irish banks. So in other words, higher mortgage interest rates. In response, veteran consumer campaigner Brendan Burgess wrote a hard-hitting opinion piece in the Irish Times criticising those remarks. Brendan joins me now, and I began by asking him to explain his beef with the Governor's comments. Well, my beef is that when the
2: ECB was cutting mortgage rates from 4% down to 0%. This is post the 2008 yeah, crash? Yeah, yeah. You know, over a period. I mean, you know, I can't remember the exact dates now offhand, but it was after the crash, as you say. Irish banks started increasing rates rather than reducing rates. And uh, they reduced the deposit rates, okay, to zero, but they increased the mortgage rates mm. And I at the time was campaigning about how high Irish mortgage rates were compared to the rest of the Eurozone. And there wasn't a peep out of the central bank to say, lads, you know, you should be cutting mortgage rates because other than that, you're not transmitting uh, ECB policy into the wider economy. So I just thought it was a bit rich when mortgage rates were not being increased as much as the ECB rate had that they had that the central bank was concerned about it yeah. and I, I think it should be consistent if 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 they think that mortgage you know ECB policy should be uh, transferred to mortgage holders well you know if we're going to face the cost of it we should have received the benefit of it and we didn't receive the benefit of it
0: Yeah I so, suppose uh, I mean there's nobody here from the banking sector to speak on behalf of the banking sector but I suppose the reason why the rates went up at the time is because the banks were essentially broke. They were all in a state of flux. We had a massive banking and property crash here. Um, hundreds of thousands of people were in arrears with their home loans. And the the banks were losing money hand over fist on track mortgages and the cost of uh, borrowing on international markets soared and so forth. We, I mean, you know, the state ended up in a an EU IMF uh, bailout for three years.
2: Yes, but across the eurozone, Banks had problems, not the same extent of uh, as, as we had here in Ireland, but they reduced mortgage rates more or less in line with the ECB rates. And, you know, Irish banks went in the opposite direction. Like, we went from being reasonable value, like, compared to the rest of the Eurozone, to being very high. Now, there might be reasons for some of that. I mean, I have been one of the biggest, like, I'm a consumer campaigner. I want to see fair mortgage rates. But I have argued that one of the reasons we're paying high rates in Ireland, one of the excuses the banks use, and there's some validity in it, is the lack of repossession. And you know, it's virtually impossible. If you decide tomorrow you're just not going to pay your mortgage, it could be seven, ten years before the bank actually gets their hands on your house. If they're lucky. If they're lucky. And by the time they get the the, the house and sell the house, it's going to be a very small proportion of the amount of the mortgage on, so they did face big losses, and I've no problem with that. But, but you know, my my main issue is that they've sort of been hands off on mortgage rates for a long time, and now they're hands on on mortgage rates when they uh, when they're raising the ECB rates, and I just think that's inconsistent.
0: Yeah, you described it as price signalling from the central bank because they don't actually set. Mortgage interest rates? Do they? I mean, you know, the banks, the banks do it themselves. ECB sets uh, sets a rate, sets a base rate um, for the eurozone as a whole. But I mean, Central Bank of Ireland doesn't set rates. No, and nor should it.
2: Um, I, you know, except in extreme circumstances, the the market should be allowed to determine the mortgage rate. But you know, that was price signalling. That was telling them we'd like you to increase the rates. And look, like, wh- one of the peculiarities of the Irish mortgage market was when the ECB rate was zero. Well, at that stage, you know, the rates can only go one place. They can only go up over time. And in situations where the general market rates are expected to increase, well, then the fixed rates should be higher than the variable rates, because if you anticipate the rates are going to be higher in a couple of years' time, you should have higher fixed rates, but in Ireland, we had the weird situation of fixed rates at three percent and variable rates up as high as four and a half percent from many of the banks and that made no sense like that made no um you know
0: financial sense
2: the it should have been the other way around the the but they didn't want be-
0: people on variables. I mean, uh, maybe AIB did because AIB's variable was uh, remained a bit competitive. But the others, generally speaking, particularly Bank of Ireland, uh, they didn't want people on variable rates. They wanted people on fixed rates because that gave them certainty in terms of their funding. But it was much more than
2: that. Most people, or a lot of people, when their, when their fixed rates ended, they defaulted to the high standard variable rate of 4.5%. And... They paid that and they never actually sort of shopped around or they never, you know, they might have got the letter saying, Your fixed rate is ending, here are your options. So and your they could
0: have been a bit sneaky.
2: Oh, absolutely. This is the exploitation of inertia. Most of the banks do that. And you mentioned AIB. AIB, fair pay to them, they brought their variable rate down, not just for new customers, but for existing customers. So the situation is we had in Ireland an artificially high. Uh, variable rate you know around four to four and a half percent for most of the banks and then what happened was these mortgages were sold some of these mortgages were sold to vulture funds the rates they were on were four four and a half percent which were artificially high and now the vulture funds have passed on the ecB rate increases and they're saying and in fact the central bank has said what's your problem all they've done is moved these rates in line with the ECB rate. But my argument is if these customers, like the particular group I was concerned about uh, is permanent TSB, were required to sell about 6,000 restructured mortgages. They're now being charged by Pepper rates of up to 6.5%. If they were with permanent TSB, they could be fixing at rates of 3 or 3.5%. Now, I think that that's wrong, I don't think that people should be, because they are in arrears, their mortgage, or not, they went in arrears, sorry, their mortgages were restructured. Because they were restructured, they were sold. And as a result of being restructured, they're paying higher rates. That is specifically prohibited by the Code of Conduct and Mortgage Arrears. And I've argued that with the central bank, that they should be saying, if a mortgage is sold by the original lender, Well, then the new owner of the mortgage must offer the rates which the original lender uh, is offering.
0: Now, we should say, uh, I think the reason Permanent TSB had to sell those loans was because they had a very high level of non-performing loans on their books. And the regulator in Frankfurt wanted, the Irish banks in particular, because the the numbers were off the charts uh, following the crash, they wanted them to aggressively bring down that NPL figure. As a result, permanent TSB, uh, among others, had to sell on, on loans.
2: Yeah, can I just say that I have no problem if we don't allow the banks to repossess houses and the banks end up with these appallingly bad loans. I have no problem at all with these loans being sold to vulture funds. But permanent TSB was a very unusual situation. These were mortgages which had been restructured. They were paying their mortgage. The only problem was that they might reach a situation in 20 years time where there might be a small balance. And then according to the EBA rules, as interpreted by the central bank, these were non-performing loans. These were extremely profitable loans for permanent TSB. And indeed, a lot of the people who were on these would have um got rid of the actual rescheduling and come back fully on track long before the mortgage was paid off. Yeah. So and PTSB did not want to sell them. They wanted to sell the really bad loans. So I I was I was very annoyed at the time and I sort of lobbied the central bank and said this is completely wrong. And I pointed out that one of the problems is that these people will be vulnerable to the rates charged by vulture funds rather than a PTSB which has to compete in the market and has some market discipline over the prices they charge.
0: Yeah. Well, the loans were sold, uh, whether PTSB wanted to sell them or not. Uh, so what has the central bank said to you in response um, to you know what, what you've been saying? You've been saying it directly to the central bank, not just on the pages of the Irish Times. So what's their response? The central bank says that uh, we do not set prices, that...
2: What we want is for the banks and for other financial services providers to give full information, to be open and transparent about
0: pricing. But we will not be involved in setting prices. And maybe they have a point there because they're not involved in setting prices. So maybe it's the politicians who are to blame in that we didn't legislate for this kind of a scenario. Uh, when these uh, loans were being sold off. And let's not forget that permanent TSB is majority owned by the state and received a, an enormous uh, bailout post the crash.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think the pricing practices should be, should be controlled. Rather than the price being set, I'm not saying that the central bank should come along and say the most you can charge is 3.5%. I'm saying that, you know, a few things. First of all, uh, the ordinary banks should offer existing customers the same rates and the same deals as they offer new customers. I don't think that they should be allowed to charge very high rates to existing customers and, um, you know, attract new customers with, with, you know, bells and whistles. I think the, the reality of it is they should be forced to charge the same rate to new and existing customers. That's one thing. But the other thing is that the new owner should be able to, as I've already said, should be able to charge Uh, should be required to offer the rates offered by the original owner of the loan. So that's not setting prices. That is setting the pricing uh, procedures. And this is what happened last year, I think it was, with the insurance companies. Insurance companies were engaged in a a practice called price walking, which discriminated and penalised customers, long-standing loyal customers of the insurance customers, of the insurance companies who, who were too uh, lazy or too ill-informed to actually shop around. They were paying a higher price for that. And yet the central bank outlawed that. They moved in and said, this is not acceptable. You're not to do that anymore. But my argument is, you know, insurance is quite a small amount of money Mm. compared to your mortgage payment. Mm. It's a one-year contract uh, compared to maybe 20, 25 years for your mortgage. And it's relatively easy to understand. I mean, uh, you know, most people, when they look at their insurance policy, they don't need to go to a specialist broker or advisor to say which is the best policy for them. They can look at the prices, they can look at the cover, and they can make a decision. But mortgages are very complicated. The vast majority of people just don't understand percentages, so they don't really understand is a 3.5% fixed rate better than a 4% variable rate? They just don't understand those issues. Yet the central bank chose to I- intervene in the pricing of insurance, but hands off when it comes to mortgages.
0: I should say we asked uh, Pepper if they wanted to send a central representative on to talk about um, the, the rates they're charging on the investment funds and there was nobody available, it seems. Um, and the central bank uh, isn't here, obviously, to uh, to defend itself. Um, it should be said as well that post the crash uh, there were a, a large cohort of people at Tracker Mortgages in the Irish market, and probably more so than other markets around Europe. And those people benefited enormously when the rates went down to zero because they were only paying the margin above ECB, which might have been half a percent in some cases, maybe, I don't know, up to two, two and a half, about that, and um, thereabouts. So those people benefited for well over a decade from zero interest rates. And obviously, they've got a decision to make now as to whether they hold on to the tracker or not. What's your advice on that? A lot depends on the margin that they're on. So, if you're on a margin of
2: a half a percent above the ECB, you're probably going to be right to stay on your tracker. But some people were on margins of up to 3.25%. Now, 3.25%... On top of the ECB rate, which is going to be, I think, probably 3% next week, that's 6.25%. Well, if they can fix it 3.5% for five years, then they yes. should do so. Mm. So you have to look at a few different factors. The the margin that you're on and the fixed rate being offered by your lender and um, also the, the term remaining of your mortgage. If you've 20 years left on your mortgage, well, fixing for one year to get a lower deal and then losing your tracker for 19 years is not a good idea. But if I was answering a question on my website today, somebody has nine years left on their mortgage. Well, if they fix for five years, when the five years is up, they'd only have four years left and the mortgage balance will be greatly reduced at that stage. So losing the tracker doesn't really matter. So it's the rate you're on, the Mm -hmm. margin you're on, the rate available from your lender, and the length of time remaining. But the interesting thing also is that I think it's Ulster Bank and AIB are a bit behind the others in raising their rates. So most people who have AIB and Ulster Bank mortgage trackers probably should fix. It's just those rates are are still comparatively good value, whereas the other banks have raised their rates. Um, it's it's not as clear
0: cut. Yeah, okay. And I, I suppose the best thing for uh, people to do is to take some uh, advice uh, before jumping in and making a, a decision. Um, can I just ask you to finish, uh, Brendan, we're, we're going from five high street banks, if you like, um, to three, just AIB, Bank of Ireland and PTSB will be left. Ulster Bank and KPC to all intents and purposes have already exited the market. They're just uh, tidying up a few loose ends. Um, five to three doesn't sound good from a competition point of view. What's, what's your take on it? Well, the biggest issue that happened over the last couple of years
2: as regards mortgage rates was the arrival of Avant mortgages.
0: Mm. And they So Avant is a, non, is a non-bank player in the market and we've seen... Dilusk and ICS mortgages, and we've seen Finance Ireland come in as well. But they've largely but, withdrawn themselves uh, from the market because of the, the interest rate flux.
2: Yeah, no, um ICS and Dilosk were our non-banks. They are they are funded by the market. As far as I understand, Avant, Avant is a subsidiary of a Spanish bank, so it's primarily funded by deposits. Mm-hmm. So in fact, they have stayed competitive, but they came in a new lender with fair rates. And the other Irish banks had to actually respond to that. So they didn't uh, increase their rates as quickly. They didn't cut the rates as such, but they didn't increase the rates uh, by as much as they would have if they didn't have that competition there. So I think that's the most important thing. I mean, if if you're five banks and they're all charging, roughly speaking, the same rates and not really competing with each other, uh, it doesn't matter to me whether you get, you know, a sixth bank that behaves in the same way, but if you get a bank that comes in and uh, charges r- fairer lending rates and better, you know, or a wider choice of projects, they offered twenty. Avant offers twenty and thirty-year mortgages, and that's of interest to many people. So, they're they're well worth you know considering, and and that's more important to me. To I mean, we could lose three lenders instead of two, but if you gain one good new lender that's competing that's that's good news so it's not the quantity it's the quality
0: so Ulster Bank and KBC weren't offering much by way of competition
2: well they did offer some some they did offer some interesting features Ulster Bank for example was the first lender to come out and say we will as a matter of policy offer all existing customers the rates on offer to new customers. And that's something that I campaigned for. And now it didn't catch on uh, with other lenders, but I thought that was quite, that was an important thing. Uh, KBC gave people a 0.2% reduction on their rate if they had their current account with them. Again, I thought that was an interesting feature. So, you know, I'm probably overstating it by saying I don't care the numbers, but, um, you know, they were competitive. But a bigger issue
0: was a much cheaper lender and that was a VANT. And so this week the ECB is having its monetary policy um, meeting and the expectation is that they'll increase rates by another half a percentage point. Do you think the banks will pass that on? Well, they'll certainly pass it on to trackers.
2: Um, they they go up automatically. Yeah. I. I I'm not sure about the fixed rates I mean they they have to look at the long term where they see the rates going and I think it's it's what the money markets and how they respond will will decide that I mean the Irish banks as I understand it are still flush with, with deposits I mean they have they are I think the highest deposit rate on offer by an Irish bank at the moment is about a half of one percent so if they're not passing on the the 3% ECB rate increases to their depositors they certainly
0: don't need to pass it on to their mortgage holders Brenda Burgess thank you for joining us thank you we're going to take a short break now when I return I'll be talking to Umber Kennedy and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times about the latest indicators showing that the economy here is still going gangbusters back in a few moments
1: at EY our purpose
0: is to build a better working world As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, various economic indicators this week have painted a rosy picture of the Irish economy. According to the CSO, Ireland again had the fastest growing economy in the EU, in spite of soaring inflation, COVID restrictions, and the impact of the war in Ukraine. Inflation has also come down, and stockbroker Davy doubled its forecast for Irish economic growth this year. Umber Kennedy and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times join me to tease out these data points. And I began by asking Owen to take us through the headline indicators from the week.
3: Yeah, so earlier this week, um, the CSO gave us a preliminary or a flash estimate of GDP for the final quarter of 2022. This is the first time they've done that. Um, They produced the figures for the European statistical agency Eurostat. So we got this essentially three months ahead of what we would normally get it. And it showed that the Irish economy grew in GDP terms by 3.5% at the end of last year. And then, because it was the fourth quarter, we got the full year figure, which shows that the Irish economy grew by 12.2%, which was the fast, made it the fastest growing economy in Europe. It was double the next nearest country, which was Portugal, at about 6%. And it may turn out to be one of the fastest growing uh, economies in the world when we see the full global results. So pretty uh, spectacular picture in GDP terms. And the interesting uh, point to make about that is the um, figures for the Eurozone as a whole were expected to be negative, but they came out marginally positive, 0.1% growth in GDP. And a lot of commentators and analysts were actually saying that it was the actual Irish economy that pushed the Eurozone as a whole into positive territory. So that just shows how uh, how big the punch of uh, the pharmaceutical, the uh, tech sector is here. Um, then we had um, inflation figures, also from the CSO, which showed that the headline inflation figure has dropped from just over 8% to 77 Now, we've sort of known that uh, we're probably past the peak inflation point. That doesn't mean things are getting much easier for households. It just means that inflation uh, isn't getting worse. But the big question is just how fast it will come down. Anyway, the better than uh, expected outlook... The stronger than expected performance of the Irish economy at the end of last year, better employment, uh, better consumer spending, has prompted Davies to double or at least um, upgrade its growth forecast for next year. So instead of expecting the economy to grow by about three and a half percent, it's now looking to grow. Is now expecting the economy to grow by nearly seven percent. So uh, we have some some positive figures coming about the Irish economy, which is um, perhaps uh, unexpected. Uh, three or four weeks ago we were talking in terms of recession and even if it wasn't a recession here we were talking in terms of households would feel like it is a recession but at the moment we're going to a little bit of an optimistic spurt.
0: Yeah Cliff Taylor that followed a couple of years of Covid restrictions and yet the Irish economy
1: uh, boomed uh, essentially. What's been the secret to our success? Yeah there's no doubt the economy came through uh, Covid much better than anyone had anticipated largely due to the tech sector and the uh, the pharma sector the two pillars on which the multinational export uh, growth has been based and also of course the government supports which helped the consumer get through covid and the domestic sector as well and that led to a to a big jump in growth uh, post-Covid last year and it, and it even seems to have allowed the economy to get through the last the first bit of the cost of living crisis in better shape than might have been expected uh, as Owen said uh, there had been talk of a recession uh, of a sharp fall-off heading into this year and uh, they Outlook internationally is, is is pretty mixed, maybe not as bad as it had been a few months ago, but still fairly ropey. Uh, and, and, you know, we thought the Irish economy might get caught up in that. I still think there are some, you know, some threats ahead, particularly from the consumer point of view with the cost of living crisis. People are getting their energy bills in now uh, for, 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 for winter and, and getting a nasty shock. Uh, their incomes are being hit. Interest rates are going to go up again this week uh, and again in March. So there is going to be a squeeze there. So we may kind of have a situation where the consumer sector is just bumbling along or maybe even spending, consumer spending is falling a bit. Uh, but the multinational sector is is continuing to support the economy. Uh, a lot of that is is real, of course, jobs and jobs and exports and growth but some of it of course as we've long written about in the past is is based on multinational accounting on on tax strategies that these companies have so you know I think we do need intellectual property and and the like and the like yeah contract manufacturing uh, overseas where companies uh, order from their Irish base for for goods to be produced anywhere else in the world and it's counted in our figures because that's the way it's done and that's no criticism of the CSO that's just the way they're following the international rules if you like for doing up our GDP figures but you know I don't think it felt like the economy grew by 12% last year and I don't think in in any real sense it it did. Uh, but nonetheless, we had a better year yeah. than, than we than we could have anticipated.
0: Now, we all know about the cuts to the tech sector, job mm. cuts that have been taking place and PayPal is the latest company now to add its name to the list of those that are cutting their workforces mm. globally. So you imagine jobs uh, will go at its Irish uh, operations as well. Um, and, you know, thousands of jobs have been lost across the tech sector in Ireland and probably thousands more to come. Leo Varadkar, um, certainly has been suggesting that. So, has the bubble burst? Um, are we in for a, a much tougher year? I mean, you know, notwithstanding the fact that Davey's doubling his forecast, is Davy being too optimistic?
1: Yeah, it's hard to know in terms of GDP forecast because there's a lot of stuff feeding in there that isn't, that is based on multinational accounting, if you like, and, 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 and on real stuff. I think perhaps the way to look at it is we had a few years. Uh, And and even through COVID uh, when the wind was behind the multinational sector on all fronts. Uh, So COVID in itself gave a boost to the pharma sector in itself gave a boost to the tech sector. Two sectors that were already doing well. Uh, And pharma... continues to do well but you're right the tech sector has, has has hit kind of a a nasty speed bump Um talking to people in the sector as this broke uh, a few months ago there was kind of speculation that maybe we might lose eight nine ten thousand jobs here uh, in the sector Um some of that would be picked up by growth elsewhere in tech and 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 so, so it may not that may not show through in the net figure but in terms of, of layoffs in the big companies if you're looking across the board and, and it does seem to be coming through now that all the big players under pressure from their investors I guess having expanded a bit too quickly during the pandemic having grabbed employees from right left and centre because they thought this growth was going to continue I mean the talk is that there was people in some of the big tech companies weren't, weren't quite sure what they were doing because they'd been hired on the basis of future growth so a lot of that has been cut back now I think what we have to hope for is that the trajectory of that sector is still, the structural trajectory, if you like, is still upwards, even if the cycle is down a bit at the moment. But I still think that's going to take a while to play through, you know, 18 months perhaps. So yeah, that is a headwind for this year for the economy. It's a headwind for jobs and it's a bit of an uncertainty, I think, for corporate tax. A lot of pluses and minuses in the corporate tax figure, but at a basic level... These companies are earning less profit now than they they were a year ago, and you'd have to think that's going to show up in the tax figures at some stage. So, if we lose a couple of billion off our corporate tax, how bad an outcome will that be for? It, it, it wouldn't be too bad. Checker? It wouldn't be too bad given the extraordinary growth we've seen over the last few years. I mean, if we could hold on to corporate tax around current levels uh, would still be uh, a, a multiple of what it was back 5 or 6 years ago still be hugely advantageous to the Exchequer but what it does mean I think is that that period of rapid growth when there were more and more resources coming into the Exchequer every year from corporate tax and it was over 20 Maybe billion last to, year. absolutely yeah yeah mm. uh, it was a bit weaker in december now a, a mistake to uh, attribute too much to a month when uh, much corporate a lot of corporate tax doesn't come in anyway But it'll just be interesting to see in March, which I think is the first big month of payments for this year, where the trend is a little bit softer uh, and whether the period of kind of exponential growth when the Department of Finance and everyone else were getting their forecasts wrong and Mm. upgrading three or four times a year is over. Hard to tell. Yeah. Um, Has inflation really peaked in your opinion, Owen? Well,
3: I think by all accounts, it it seems to be tagged most uh, strongly to energy prices and they seem to have come down a bit in recent months. So we see the headline figure... Coming down below eight percent, it's it's. I was writing about this uh, yesterday. There's a kind of a consensus that yeah, maybe we're the the, the worst uh, level of inflation that we're going to see has already passed. The big question for us now is just how quickly it comes down. So a lot of uh, economists are are pretty optimistic that it's going to come down quite quickly. And then there's a school of thought that we're going to have what they call sticky inflation. Uh, some people are talking about it might get stuck at about four percent. Now what they say is happening is that inflation has shifted from commodities like oil and gas and into services and service level inflation then translates more readily into uh, wage demands. And when wages start going up, companies pay for um, increased wages through uh, higher prices. So that can have a kind of circular effect and be sort of, you know, long lasting in an economy. So the ECB, which will um, increase its rates by a half a percent we think uh, on thursday they had um you know inflation forecasts for the next few years and um they, they don't think that we're, they're going to get down to their two percent target rate till at least 2025 so if you remember the ecb at the beginning of the whole crisis was kind of slow to accept that inflation had had spiraled up uh, on a, a maybe more permanent or medium-term basis so they're now uh, they've turned into a bit of a gloomy predictor around inflation. So um, if the headline uh, figure might have peaked, we might be in for a much more prolonged period of uh, elevated inflation, is probably the best expression to use. And of course, with elevated inflation, then we have higher interest rates. And I think that's the big bogeyman for the economy. We just, in 20 years, haven't had a period of higher interest rates, and that uh, you know has impacts all across the economy. Cliff, we've uh, interest rate
0: decisions this week from the ECB, from the Fed and from the Bank mm. of England. Uh, what are you expecting and, and how will that impact on the Irish economy?
1: Higher, higher, I suppose, all round. Um, there is talk that the Fed and maybe the Bank of England may be re- you know, reaching, the reaching their peak. Because they were well ahead of the ECB in, in well terms of the ticking up rates. Absolutely, and the ECB were, were late to the game, if you like. Um, certainly another half percent, uh, at the end of this week on Thursday from the ECB. I don't think there's any doubt, any doubt about that. Um, it's been as well flagged as any increase has been, including by the Irish Central Bank Governor, Gabriel McClough, last week and numerous others as well. I think the question then is how many other how many other half-point or, or even quarter-point increases there are going to be after that. Certainly there's a big push at the ECB and again uh, Gabriel McClough referred to this for another half percent increase in March, when the governing council meets the next time, um, that would take the deposit rate, which the ECB now sees as its kind of uh, landmark or benchmark rate, if you like, to three percent, and it would take the uh, the other ECB rate, the reference rate from which uh, tracker mortgages are priced at three and a half percent. There is kind of speculation now, well-informed, one presumes on the international markets and among economists that the ECB wants to get another half point after March again. In other words, to get its deposit rate to 3.5% before pausing and seeing what's going to happen. I suspect there's going to be a bit of a fight about that between the ECB and politicians. Of course, the ECB is independent. Uh, in inverted commas uh, and is independent nonetheless there's a lot of tic tacking goes on behind the scenes and we've started to see a bit of rumbling I think uh, from some European countries Italy and France in particular you know do we really need to see interest rates going up this quickly as uh, Macron referred last year to the risk of the ECB shattering demand in the European economy and I think with European growth slowing albeit holding in better than expected and interest rates heading up that could come to a bit of a crunch now in the coming months uh, particularly if the ECB sticks to its guns. And there does seem to be a bit of a bandwagon of the ECB governing council now, as 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 one ECB watcher put it to me last week, that they just want to get this done in terms of getting rates up uh, from what they were, saw as uncomfortably low levels for, for many years and really trying to shake inflation out. Uh. The economic data, though, is a bit spotty, isn't it? Because we yeah. had data from Germany this week showing that the economy shrank. Yeah. It is it is and by Germany is the biggest economy by far in the EU. Absolutely and as Owen said the Irish figures in themselves may be, may be supporting things. I just no doubt that talk of a of a big recession in in the eurozone in the early months this year now looks very unlikely. But growth has has stalled and and may fall in the months ahead and consumers whatever whatever the top line figures show consumers are suffering. Consumers are spending less. Their incomes are being hit. Uh, And you could argue that that's the most important thing in the economy is, you know, people's welfare and and people's welfare is being hit. And, you know, living standards are falling for the first time across the board since the financial crash uh, in 2008. Now, not as as seriously as they did back then. There are more government supports in place for people. The hit isn't as big, but nonetheless, I think that that, that, that is significant. And I think that, you know, that's leading to political pressures and is going to lead to some controversy in the months ahead with the ECB, if the ECB pushes ahead. And as you say, it's pushing ahead against Whatever the top-line figures show, it's pushing ahead against a weak economic backdrop yeah. and a period when governments are going to find it harder to fund their own deficits because their costs of borrowing are rising and the more C- the ECB increases its rates, the more difficult and more expensive it is to raise fresh borrowing.
0: It's sometimes hard to make sense of the Irish figures, isn't it? Because if we look at the CSO data on retail sales, consumer spending uh, over the Christmas uh, period, I think overall it was you know broadly flat. Yeah. But if you take motor sales and a couple of other quirks out of it, um, for uh, clothing, for footwear, for furniture—types of things you would expect to do well over the Christmas period—there were really sharp drops yeah. uh, in uh, in sales uh, over that period. We know that people are feeling the pinch. We've yeah. seen the costs in in restaurants and pubs, and you can kind of see it yourself now yeah. that demand has dropped off uh, in those areas um, quite significantly. Uh, and yet, the the headline figure is uh, is so strong. Yeah. Um, and then we have all these uh, job layoffs. Yeah. Um, now, granted, some some of those people might be, you know, they might pick up butter jobs. It's gonna take sure. time. Yeah. Um, and they got rents to pay and bills to pay and, and so forth. So we're we're really not getting a clear picture on what's going on in the Irish economy. And now interest rates are likely to go up, and even though the banks might not all pass it on, and a lot of people are on fixed rates and so on, there are a lot of people who have their loans with vulture funds. Yeah. Whose loans were sold because uh, they were restructured for one reason or another post the last uh, crash. And they're definitely going to feel the effect of this.
1: They are, yeah. They're already rates are 6, percent 6, and they're going to go up even more. There's tens of thousands of people there is in, that, up, in that situation. Up to 100,000, uh, I think, were sold. Um, some of them may be, not all of them may be caught, but I think a significant number are, you know, probably 50, 60,000. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of people caught in that situation. And I think also a lot of people who've bought houses in the last few years are, are now on fixed rates, took out a t- fixed rate loan for two or three years, they're going to go through to, re- to renew that fixed rate or go on to variable rate, you know, this year, next year, and they're going to get a nasty surprise. So I think that's that's the other place this is going to hit, if you like. And in addition to that, the estate agents are telling us that they expect the vacancy rate in the office market yeah. to
0: increase to 15%. It's already doubled over the past yeah. six years to 12%. Yeah. They expect it to go up now. Maybe that's the peak. Uh, we'll wait and see. And I know hybrid working and so on is, is, is a factor in that as well. But you put all of that together, and you wonder how the hell we're not in recession, or how the
1: hell people, yeah,
0: I think, are screaming about uh,
1: the current situation. Yeah, I think at the end of March we we'll get the we we'll get the full CSO figures, if you like, and, and we we'll get the kind of the key figure for domestic demand in the economy in, in the fourth quarter of last year, uh, and I think that could be that could be quite weak. Uh, and I think, as you say yourself, common sense is now people are pulling in their horns, people aren't spending as much, uh, people can't borrow as much. And uh, notwithstanding the central bank rules, which give them a bit of leeway, uh, house prices are, you know, have continued to rise and are kind of been taken out of people's affordability bracket, if you like. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, it'd be, too, it'd be too much to say a lot of flashing red lights, but there's a lot of flashing orange lights, I think. And as I said, we're going from a period when all the wind was behind us on all fronts to, a, I think, a much more mixed period now, a period of significantly slower growth in in terms of what you or I and people out there will feel, whatever about the top level figures, in terms of consumer spending uh, and investment, which are the things that drive the domestic economy, uh, I think they're they're going to fall off this year. Uh, I think businesses are nervous. Consumers are nervous. There's going to be a lot of waiting and seeing to see how things pan out. Uh, Somewhat better signs from the wholesale energy markets at the moment. So if you wanted to look for a more positive straw in the wind, if that was to become entrenched, uh, the lower level of, of wholesale prices, we at least might see the, mm. the worst of the increases. Mind you, prices us.
0: at the pump seem to be going upwards. I
1: don't know if you've yeah, filled up lately. the oil prices have, have gone up and down a lot and react very quickly to the wholesale market. But I think the gas one is the one is the one to really watch. It's back to levels now, the wholesale market bef- of, of before the war. Um, and remember, of course, that it had risen before the war significantly anyway because of the big... Jump from after COVID, um, but 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 better news there. But as you're right, as, I, I think I think what you say is right. There's a lot of parts of the economy under pressure now, and I think that will start to feed through to the top line figures. And uh, the economy that we're all living in, I think, is is not the one that grew by twelve percent last year.
0: Yeah, even for the tech workers, I think yeah. things have changed. Only a final word to you. Um, what's what's your view on the outlook for this year? Are you as bullish as the you guys?
3: I would I'd largely agree with Cliff. I think, um, you know, it was almost flagged to us that the real bite, the real pinch for households would come after Christmas when they'd be met with, you know, the permanent kind of rise or semi-permanent rise in in their grocery weekly shop bills. There would be, um, you know, the energy bills, the winter energy bills are going to come. And then we have the added effect of the increase in mortgage rates. So those three factors should really squeeze household bills. And, you know, um, last year and even Up till very recently, households had savings built up under the pandemic, which they've been running down and probably paying for the additional costs of a lot of these bills. You know they're probably depleted now. So you know, yeah, we're we're going to see the real bite coming in the next two or three months. Now, still the 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 outlook, um, the wider international outlook has got got a bit better. Um, It's also predicated on the Russia's war in Ukraine, where we just don't know what's going to happen. So. Uh, you know, another bang from that area of the world could come, and and that could catch us majorly off guard. But yeah, I think the the worst of the kind of downturn, if I can call it that, uh, is still probably to come, and that's just um, going to be the squeeze on household uh, finances and the ensuing, uh, you know, slowdown in consumer spending, which is kind of two thirds of the economy.
0: Umbra Kennedy and Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining us. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Owen Burke-Kennedy, Cliff Taylor and Brendan Burgess. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.